Romans 12, starting at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, there's a very prestigious rugby club right in the centre of Cape Town called Villagers. It's been around since the 1890s, so it's a pretty old rugby club. And a few years ago, they did a redevelopment of the ground, upgrading all of the facilities. Absolutely stunning location with Table Mountain up behind them there. It was a multi-million dollar project. There were new stands and new offices and other facilities that were put in there. But when the work was completed, they identified a small problem. When they went to mark out the football field, they actually discovered that they hadn't left enough room for the football field. They hadn't left enough room to be able to play a game of rugby. 
Uh, the end result was a few million more dollars were spent in order to demolish some buildings and uh, move them a little further down so that uh, the football field could fit in. Now, it's kind of a, a, a crazy mistake for a football ground to actually, or a football team to actually make. I mean, a, above all, the most important thing about having a rugby team is that you need to have somewhere to play. When the rugby team doesn't have that, when their priorities get a little bit distorted and they start thinking that offices and really great stands beside the football ground are more important, uh, people can get carried away with the peripheral things and not focus on the main point. Now, I tell that story because it demonstrates an important principle that we Christians can often struggle with as well. Uh, very often in our lives, we can become a little bit like the village's rugby club. We can focus on the peripheral things and make them our priorities when, in fact, our priority ought to be following Jesus and trusting him. But the fact that our relationship with God is the main game and the most important things in our, in thing in our lives. We need to make sure that we don't make the same mistake as that rugby club. We've been looking at this subject of guidance over the last three weeks, and we're going to finish off today, but I just wanted to kick it off this morning with a few misconceptions that people have or mistakes that they can make when it comes to decision-making in their Christian lives. One of the big mistakes that people can make is they think that God only guides on the big issues in life, that God's not concerned about the smaller details of our life, it's just those big decisions, career decisions and marriage decisions where we need to look for God's guidance. But God's concerned about the very smallest details in our lives. Yes, he's concerned about the job that we do, but he's also concerned about how we speak to others. He's concerned about who we marry but he's also concerned that we care for the poor and for the needy. He's concerned about how we spend our money, but he's also concerned about our gossip. God's concerned about all of the details of our lives, and he offers us guidance on the big things, and when you look through the scriptures, you realise that he offers guidance on the tiniest things as well, things that some people might think are insignificant. Another really common mistake that people can make is trying hard to interpret events. I'm not sure if you've come across this very often, but people will uh, have an experience and there will be events in their life and they'll feel that God is trying to tell them something. They think that their task is to decode the message and figure out what it is that God is saying, kind of follow the clues that it's some cryptic thing and I need to figure out how to interpret this. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, a friend of mine, when he was studying at Bible College, came home one night and just as he arrived at the college, there had been a car accident uh, and he, he really felt that God was trying to tell him something. At first, he thought that God was trying to tell him, there's need right here on your doorstep, so you don't need to go overseas to serve, you can stay right here. And then he thought God might have been showing that there's need everywhere, so maybe he does need to go overseas. Now, I know it's probably just the cynic in me, but my first thought was maybe God's telling you to do a first aid course or, or maybe God's trying to tell that driver that he needs to drive a little slower next time. I mean, the possibilities are endless. And when it comes to me feeling that God wants me to do something, it can sometimes be a little bit hard to differentiate what I want and what it might be that God wants. 
Uh, I, I had a friend who was telling me that they decided that there was a Bible college that they were going to go and attend. Uh, they really felt that God wanted them to go to this Bible college in Hawaii. And I can remember desperately thinking, oh, I want to be at that Bible college in Hawaii. But why can't God tell me that? But the possibilities are endless and so are the signs. How do you know which signs you're supposed to read? Uh, what if I miss a sign or don't even notice that there has been a sign or misinterpret a sign? But the thing to be clear about is God never promises that he's going to guide that way. Can God guide that way? Absolutely. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. Has God promised that he will guide us that way? Absolutely not. He's promised us that his word will be a light to our feet, a guide on the path. And the Bible is our very clear guidance from God. The Bible never says that we're supposed to de decipher events and, and God never says that there are cryptic clues out there. You just keep looking for them, try and crack the code. And we should be thankful that God is not like that. Our God is a God who reveals himself clearly and has told us clearly how it is that he will guide us. It's a matter of us going back to see what God's word says. One third misconception, this probably isn't terribly common today, but I can remember when I was a younger Christian that there were people who kind of operated this way. It's kind of the Gideon approach of putting out a fleece and sort of testing God. The idea is that if you're making an important decision and you're looking for God's guidance, then you put out some kind of a fleece, some kind of test by which we can determine what it is that God wants us to do. People think that, they, that it has some kind of biblical warrant because that was what Gideon did as well. Uh, if you don't remember the Gideon story, uh, he put out a fleece on the ground and asked God to make, it, make the fleece wet but the ground dry and if he did that then he would know what it was that God wanted him to do. Uh, that wasn't enough for Gideon because God did that and then Gideon said, okay, let's do it the other way. Let's make the ground wet and the fleece dry and then I'll be really sure I know what it is that you want me to do. The kind of thinking that people would have today is they've applied for two different jobs and they're seeking God's guidance on which one they should accept uh, and they put out a fleece for God. They say, look, I'll accept the first uh, email that I get back uh, telling me that I've got the job. So rather than sort of having to decide between the two, I'll, I'll know that you want me to do this one, God, because it will be the first one back. But the thinking's flawed for a whole variety of reasons. Um, it's a complete misunderstanding of the whole Gideon story. One of the important things that you notice when you look through the story in, Gideon, in, in uh, the book of Judges uh, is that he didn't need to put out a fleece. Gideon was, wasn't confused about what God wanted him to do. He just didn't want to do it. That was the problem. Uh, here's the passage from the book of Judges. Gideon said to God, if you save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. He, he knows what God's already said. Why in the world is he putting a fleece out? He knows what it is that God has told him to do. God has made it clear that he will save Israel by Gideon's hand. Gideon just doesn't want to do what God has promised him to do. 
And the other important thing to realise from the, this story in the book of Judges is that God never promises that he will guide this way. I mean, at the risk of stating the, the obvious, the Bible never tells us to put out a fleece. In fact, the opposite is true. We're told not to put God to the test. We're not to demand that God prove himself to us, especially when he's spoken to us so clearly as he had in, in Gideon's case. And forgive me for harping on about this point, but we have the Bible. We have God's word. That's how God has promised to speak to us. That will be the light to our feet, the guide for us on that path. That will be the thing that is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that brings me to the practical issue that we're going to just briefly cover this morning. Uh, we're trying to look at one practical issue each time. Which car do I buy? Who do I marry? Which job should I take? And thankfully, there is one verse in the Bible. A good friend of mine told me this. There is one profession for Christians. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. You're probably not in it yet. But this is the verse that you need to take seriously. Strengthen the feeble hands and steady knees that give way. Apparently we're all supposed to be physiotherapists. That's what I was told by my physiotherapist friend. This is clear guidance from God on what it is that we should do. So does the Bible offer any guidance on which job I should do? Well, I think I want to say that the Bible's reasonably silent on career choices. There are a few pathways that have kind of been ruled out. Um, this is what Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, he who is stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So stealing is out. I think I could pretty safely say drug dealing, money laundering, prostitution, and illegal bookmaking are probably also in that same category, things that Christians ought not to be doing. Now, we may joke about that, but this can sometimes be pretty serious stuff. Uh, I met a guy one time who had just recently become a Christian and he began to realise that the job that he had had him doing not illegal things, but things that were certainly unethical and more than likely dishonest. So he was a bit concerned about some of the aspects of his job, so he went to speak to his boss and explained what the situation was that, you know, as a Christian, he wasn't sure that he was going to be able to do all of those things. Uh, and the boss was completely understanding of the situation and said, here's the choice, keep doing it the way that you've been doing it or pack your things and get out. Now, that's a tough conversation to get home and have with your wife, isn't it? Uh, especially when you've got a mortgage and two children that you've just walked out on your job and you don't know what you're going to do for work tomorrow. What was God's guidance for him in that matter? While the Bible doesn't say too much about which job you should do, it does say a lot about the kind of employee or employer that God wants you to be. Now, there are plenty of Bible verses that point us in that direction. Uh, bear in mind, when we read the word slave, they were, in, they were bonded employees, really. We, we think of slave and we think of someone in a cell, but that's not what they were back in New Testament times. 
Uh, but this passage says, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And Paul says to Timothy, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. And it goes on to say this, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since, since you know that, you, uh, that both he and you, uh, their masters and your masters, is in heaven. There is no favouritism with him. Uh, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. But the most important thing to realise about, uh, about our work is that God has a big plan. We're to do our jobs with Jesus in mind and we need to do our jobs in a way that actually points people to Jesus. This is what Paul says to, uh, in, in his letter to Titus. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them and not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. And then says a similar thing to Timothy. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Which job does God want us to have? Well, I think the answer is the one that allows us the greatest opportunities for serving Jesus. But in choosing a job, take care that you're not guided by the wisdom of our world, which would encourage us to store up treasures here on earth or choose a job that will impress other people or strive for those things that ultimately won't last. We need to make sure that we're not guided by greed or by pride in the choice of work that we do. We live in a society where people are very often defined by their job or seek to be defined by their job. As Christians, we've got to make sure that we don't think like that. Your job doesn't define who you are. Your job isn't the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is your trust in Jesus. And being a Christian is what defines you. I think the message from the Bible is that we need to choose our job in terms of serving Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're working in a Christian organisation. It means that where you are working, you are seeking to serve Jesus. Which is the job that will give me the greatest opportunities in terms of serving Jesus? A few years ago, I saw a great decision-making, uh, Christian decision-making at work. Uh, this guy was a school teacher. He'd been teaching in Western New South Wales for quite some time. Uh, he was married with a few kids. He was looking to transfer over to the north coast of New South Wales, where he could be closer to family members. So the first step for him was during one of the school holidays, they came over to the Northern Rivers area, and they wanted to find a good church that they could be a part of. And once they'd found a good church, they were then going to apply to the schools that were within one hour's drive of that church. Uh, they wanted to make sure the church was their highest priority. 
The church was going to be the decision-making thing for them in terms of which school he taught at. Uh, They didn't really mind which school it was that they got involved in. Being part of a church and serving others was the most important thing. And I've mentioned before another guy that I know who worked for Deloitte's, a senior manager, uh, went to his bosses and said that he wanted to cut back to four days a week so he could devote a day to helping out at his church and also helping out with his family. Uh, A career-killing move for him. Now, I'm aware that we don't all have those sorts of options when it comes to our work, and I'm not saying for a moment that one of those two things that I've just mentioned is what you ought to be doing. But what I am saying is the main game in your life ought to be serving and following Jesus. And you make the other decisions fit in around that. Following Jesus is the football field that we need to put down right at the beginning and everything else fits in around that. So how do we sum up all of this guidance stuff? Well, let me tell you what I hope we've kind of learned over these past few weeks. I hope we've been able to see the way that God has promised to guide us and that he does it through his word. I hope we've been reminded that God has a plan for this world and that is to bring everything under the kingship of Jesus. And I hope we've seen that the main game is serving Jesus. So we need to fit all the other pieces in around that. Let me go back to the passage that I think is most helpful on guidance, the very beginning of that uh, passage from Romans chapter 12. This is basically how Paul sums up what he's been saying for the first 11 chapters of Romans. He says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. I love the progression in, that ver- in those verses. We are to be totally committed to serving God. Priority number one is serving God. Remember, life is not about you. It's about Jesus and you bringing glory to him. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't adopt the attitudes and the values of our society. Make sure that you have God's values and attitudes. Make sure your mind is being renewed in your relationship with God. Make sure that you are committed to understanding what God has revealed of himself in his word. Seek to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And then, Paul says, if you do that, you'll know God's will. There it is. You want to know what God's guidance is? Commit yourself to serving Jesus be committed to to changing your attitudes and your values, to be transformed by God's word, and then you'll know what God's will is. You'll choose the things that are pleasing to God. You'll do the things that are honouring to God. So let me close with those words from Paul. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will.